The Nourish and Shine podcast is provided for educational and informational purposes only, and it is not medical, mental health, or healthcare advice. The information presented here is not intended to diagnose, treat, heal, cure, or prevent any illness, medical condition, or mental or emotional condition. Please make sure you consult with a trusted healthcare professional before you make any changes. Welcome to Nourish and Shine, where I talk with passionate leaders in the fields of nutrition, functional and integrative medicine, and wellness, providing inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and live a whole vibrant life starting now. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking with Jennifer Kreitzelis. She's a certified yoga therapist specializing in eating disorders and body image. She is the creator and host of Real Body Talk and author of the book, Body Mindful Yoga. She's also an international speaker and mental health advocate. Jennifer and I had such a powerful conversation today, and we really covered a number of different areas. We talked about language in yoga, but also the importance of language around our children. We also talk about the new year and how that doesn't necessarily have to relate to changing ourselves every single year. I hope you really enjoy this episode. I know that so much of what Jennifer said really struck a chord for me, and I hope it does for you as well. Welcome to Nourish and Shine. Today I'm talking with Jennifer Kriatzlis. She is an author, speaker, and certified yoga therapist. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jennifer. Thank you, Amy. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, I am so excited to talk with you today. But first, I would love for you to tell our audience about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Let's see. So I am a mother, I have two daughters. I, my personal story um, has been one of eating disorder recovery. Uh, my eating disorder or the eating disorder started in college. And um, over the past 20 some years of traveling this healing path, done a lot of healing work and have been very blessed to have um, wonderful people in my life to support me and, and help me move along that healing path. And now I have this wonderful, wonderful gift of giving back to the eating disorder community, supporting others through yoga therapy. Um, yoga was a very important part and continues to be an important part of my life, but certainly in my recovery, played a huge role in helping me reconnect with my body and shift core beliefs that were really blocking me and keeping me stuck, um, opened me up to just living from a place of compassion and truthfulness and love and acceptance. And certainly all of those things are daily practices. Um, but my yoga practice has supported me in, in being able to show up in those ways for myself. Um, and now for others, holding space for others through um, yoga therapy. For our audience um, that's not super familiar with how yoga therapy is different than um, like a yoga class, could you go into that? Absolutely. And that's a great question. I so appreciate you asking. So yoga therapy is working with um, people on a one-on-one -on -one basis versus a class setting, whereas a class, you know, people show up and there's a teacher guiding, you know, from the beginning to the end. Yoga therapy is a much more personalized approach 
and it is bringing in the practices, the tools, the philosophies of yoga to support people in the changes that they would like to make in their lives. So I specialize in eating disorders and body image. And so I'm working with clients, um, bringing in yoga philosophies, practice and tools to support them in, you know, what's coming up in their recovery and their healing. Maybe that is, you know, around embodiment and body image. Maybe it's around beliefs around self-worth, um, beliefs around feeling like deserving of taking care of themselves, um, healing the ideology that comes, you know, that takes root with an eating disorder because that itself is a whole belief system. And so bringing in philosophies to help, to help shift, um, shift out of that kind of self-destructive belief system into one of self-empowerment and nourishment of body, mind, and soul. Um, and so it's a really beautiful, organic process. And, you know, I just work with my clients to meet with them where they are and, and bring in yoga as, as, you know, as it helps them in the moment. So I'm not doing the work of a therapist. I'm not doing that, you know, that processing work. My work is more around, okay, what's going on right now? And what are some tools or practices, some rituals, some, some reflection that we can do, can bring in to support you in, in the shift you want to make right now. Um, so it's, it's really, um, it's been really powerful to be able to hold space like that for others. I think it brings up a really important point that yoga is more than just the physical asana practice. Can you talk about what other types of practices you might be bringing in with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to the asana, like you mentioned, um, breathing practices are really important and, by that, I mean just simply simply connecting with breathing. Um, a lot of my clients are scared of breathing because the f- sensation of feeling yourself fill up, you know, with that inhale can be really overwhelming. Um, so finding safety and comfort in breathing again, um, or at least breathing with awareness. Um, meditations on relaxations, visualizations, mantras, grounding techniques. Um, bringing in the philosophies and then talking them through about how one might apply them in their daily life. Um, these are all these are all the practices that 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 we bring into to yoga therapy. On your website too, you have a free meditation series that you can sign up for for Inner Calm. That's like three little short meditations. Yes, um, which yes. are great for people who are just kind of interested in what you're saying and looking to try it out. I think that's a really nice option. Oh, thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. Yes. The other thing I wanted to talk about was your book. And so you wrote a book um, called Body Mindful Yoga. One of the chapters that I really enjoyed in there was talking about morality, language, and food. Yes. (laughs) This is one of my favorite topics. Um, So, you know, morality language, words like good and bad. And I'm sure anybody listening can relate to this idea of, of hearing or even saying themselves good food, bad food, right? And, and that is not to criticize, judge, or shame anyone, right? We grow, this, is, this is the world we live in of good versus bad food, right? Um, this is the, the, the way food is marketed. This is the way it's talked about. Um, and morality, you know, mapping this, this morality, good, bad, guilty, you know, pleasure, 
um, indulging, all this kind of language that that somehow speaks of our character, right? Like morality is about our personal behavior of right and wrong. And now, you know, because this language has gotten so enmeshed with food and the act of eating, um, it's almost like, you know, just nourishing ourselves has become this like moral dilemma. You know, um, how do we feed ourselves and how do we do it, you know, without it being about good or bad? How about it's just because it's our right and it's what our bodies need? Certainly, there's, you know, variety of choices and we can talk about like quality, but that's got a very different tone than good or bad. And, you know, if you label a food bad and every time you eat it, then it's like with every bite, it's like, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And conversely, like if, you know, you're someone who's, you know, seeking to feel like righteous in, in how you eat. And again, that's not a judgment. That is a value that is in our, in our society, right? That, you know, repetition of I am good. I am good. I'm good. It's like every bite is wrapped up in, in our, in morality and, and that gets mapped into our character. And so, you know, really trying to untangle from that um, and actually just begin by just eliminating that language from our dialogues you know, certainly uh, as a mom, this is something that I'm so passionate about. You know, we need to, I really believe we, like capital W, we need to raise our children to be free of this, this moral dilemma around eating because we're setting, we're setting our children up for eating disorders and body image and confusion around just their basic right to be hungry and their basic right to be full right? Because we tend to think like hunger is somehow, you know, um, the enemy, right? Because now we have to feed ourselves and, oh no, am I going to be good or am I going to be bad? And it just, it just spirals, right? Does that make sense? Yes. A hundred percent. Going on to the children piece, I think, especially as a mother of two myself, I, this is something I think about a lot because as a teenager, I too had an eating disorder and found yoga and I found it to be extremely helpful. But I think about the languaging and just like the feelings around food and the energy around food and wonder how to not do harm to my children. You know, what are your thoughts around this and what sort of um, changes can people make in their languaging or just like their energy around food? Yes, it's such a great question. I'll start by just saying like, I'm not perfect at this, (laughs) but it is something that I'm striving for because I, I feel so passionate about it. Um, I'll share some things that my husband and I, we've kind of adopted here. Um, so certainly, you know, we don't say good or bad food. Um, we don't make food, like there's no hierarchy. Um, it's more about, you know, balance and educating like, oh, well, this is, you know, why fruits are good for us. And this is why we need protein. And this is why we need carbohydrates and, and not singling out, um, just not singling out food groups, um, trying to really trust our children, which this has been, I'll admit, like it is really hard to trust our, trust their choices, um, and trust that their bodies, like that they're just innocently listening to their bodies, like their children, they haven't been, you know, programmed in the way, you know, 
that this this happens as we age, right? And um, and to, to really believe in them and trust them and let them know that we trust them because if they get the message that we trust them around food, then they can feel, they can grow up feeling confident in their choices. Um, certainly when it comes to, you know, quality, questions of quality of foods, you know, I think as parents, it's our job to, to model balance and, and healthy habits, but not demonize foods. Um, including like sweets and things and just trying to find the balance with, with providing those things in terms of, you know, talking about bodies and exercise or movement, you know, we don't talk about body parts. We don't talk about, um, you know, like we don't call out like, Oh, you, you have such, you know, you have the fastest legs on your team, right? Like we don't want to be, making it about externals, we try to bring it back to still like, wow, what did it feel like to run across the field today? Um, I saw you were smiling the whole time. Like, what were you thinking? You know, just trying to get people, get our children to talk about their experiences versus, you know, focusing on the externals. So whether that's grades or sports or um, things like that. And, and, and I'm bringing this up because that directly ties into their sense of self-worth, which directly then translates into their relationship with their bodies. Right. Um, you know, so trying to, 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 to praise, but get them talking about their experience so that it's not just them like seeking, you know, all these external validators, but learning to validate themselves. And that goes like hand in hand. Then it, it, it loops back to, they can feel confident that they know how to listen to their bodies, um, which then circles back to feeding themselves. Um, I'm trying to think what other, some other things that we, we do. I know there are more, um, but I think they're, they're the major ones. So in terms of language, you know, really um, checking yourself about how you are talking about yourself and your body and your perceptions of food, right? Like, so saying things like, oh, I have to go burn off lunch now in front of our children. Like we need to stop saying those types of things. Or, you know, oh, I feel so guilty for eating that piece of pizza. Um, now I can't eat this, that, or the other thing tomorrow. Like we need to really stop saying those things because our children hear and they learn from us, right? If you don't like your body or you're discontent with your body, there's, you know, a, a tons of, I, I give you so much compassion. You're not alone in those feelings. And I encourage you to express them to a peer or a therapist or a support person, but not in front of your kids because they will, they will repeat it. They will mimic it and they will grow up believing that's how they need to feel about their bodies. I appreciate so much and just the power of what you're saying and how it can change a child's outlook or feelings towards themselves is so important. And the one thing I see as a mother is even just like, I notice how much my daughter pays attention to what I say by the use of her words, like she'll incorporate literally into sentences or, you know, <laughs> right. say, she starts incorporating in. So you know that they're listening and even more than you realize. And so I think it, it just really hits home to think a lot about how you're speaking about yourself because they're hearing that um, and probably internalizing some of that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I always think about 
it's only a matter of time until our children start hearing the messages, you know, in our social world about bodies and what bodies fit and what bodies don't. And they start to become really self-conscious about themselves. And I just hope and pray that by giving them a strong, safe foundation at home, that it just makes them stronger in the face of those confusing messages, right? So, you know, and I don't think it's ever too late to start, you know, so if like someone's listening and, you know, and, and feel like, oh, but I do that. Oh no, I'm a terrible mom. No, you're not. Like you're living your life and you have your own pain that you're working through, right? And there's no shame in that and keep, keep working through it. It's just becoming mindful of not doing it in front of our kids. So you brought up kind of getting into the social media world. Let's talk about that. Well, in Body Mindful Yoga, we have a chapter on social media. And, you know, social media is wonderful in so many ways. And it really, at the core, it taps into our primal instinct to belong, right? It taps into that that primal need to be part of a tribe. You know, if you think back, way back, way back when, you know, people lived in tribes, the tribe was the lifeline. Um, It was safety. It was foundation. It was security. It was um, what kind of made the world go round. Um, And so, you know, who doesn't want to feel part of a tribe? Who doesn't want to feel like they belong? And social media has this wonderful way of, of creating a sense of belonging and connection and, you know, just expanding our, our social tribes, you know, beyond what, you know, like, I, I mean, you think about like you start with your small group and then it just keeps expanding, 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 expanding. And all of a sudden you're, you're part of this huge network. Um, so that's all well and good. How there's, however, there's the line, right? So when does belonging, just that primal instinct for belonging cross into a dependence on external validation, right? And so that's where um, thing like that's where our body image and our self-esteem kind of gets tapped into because if we depend on likes and comments and shares and all of this to kind of, build us up or to make us, you know, feel confident or like contribute to our self-worth in any way, then we're really becoming dependent on an external validator and we lose some connection with our personal, like our guts, right? Like the things that make us who we are. Um, and we lose the ability to understand how to validate ourselves. And so from a body image standpoint, we can really get caught up in comparison. We can really get caught up in guilt. We can feel shame when we're looking on social media and we're, you know, feeling like we're falling short. Uh, We're not fitting in. We're not measuring up. Don't have as many followers. Posts aren't performing the way you want them to, right? Like all of this external criteria just starts spinning like a top. It just keeps spinning, spinning, spinning. Um, and we lose our center, we we lose connection with ourselves. So in body mindful yoga, the idea around this is to do a little self-study and, and figure out like, have I crossed that line? And if I've crossed that line, 
you know, we, we offer um, some journaling and some practices to help help people kind of come back to center and make some shifts in how they use social media. One of the quotes that really stuck with me, and this is actually from the beginning of the book, that body image is a perception, not a fact. Yes. I wrote that down right away and I was like, oh, that is so good. Do you have any (laughs) thoughts around that or like how, how have you seen that applied? Yes. I think it can be such a life changing moment when we give ourselves permission to believe that our body image is a perception because I think so often we can walk around feeling like we're stuck in a fact, right? Like an unchangeable fact. And when we feel like that, we just feel, we feel stuck and we just continue to devolve in our relationship with our bodies. But if we realize that our body image is fluid, that it's a perception, that it shifts. And what I mean like by that is, for example, you think about how you feel in your body when you're at a park versus when you're in a doctor's office, right? Or when you're with your best friends versus when you're at a family holiday meal, <laughs> right? Or when you're, I don't know, taking a test versus uh watching a movie that you love, right? Like it's situational. And there are a lot of factors that contribute to how we're feeling in our bodies, you know, at any given moment. And so when we can recognize that body image is almost like it can be a a fluid minutes, minute thing versus this just forever thing that we're stuck with because it's a fact, then we have room to to reorient. We have room to recognize different aspects of ourselves. We have room to remember like, oh, you know, yesterday when I was at the park walking around in sunshine, I actually felt really okay. Like I wasn't even thinking about my body. Okay. Hmm. That's curious, <laughs> right? Like things are fluid. And I think when we can accept that, um, we can make some pretty big shifts in our lives. One of the episodes I recently just watched, you have a public television show that's also on YouTube called Real Body Talk, which I love. And episode seven was about embracing yourself in the new year. Now that it's February and New Year's has come and gone, can you talk about some tips you have for people around this time of year? Yes. And thank you so much for watching the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Yes. That was a really fun episode with Samantha DeCaro, who's the assistant clinical director at the Renfrew Center of Philadelphia. And we covered a lot of ground in that show, but I'll just try to bring in some of the highlights um, from that interview. You know, one of the things that Sam talked about was how, you know, this time of year and certainly earlier on around New Year's, we're fed these, you know, just message after message after message that we need to be changing our appearance, you know, the whole like new year, new you theme, um, that somehow, you know, the, the same me from 2019 isn't good enough for 2020. Right. And so in that to, to be better, I need to lose weight. I need to work out harder. I need to, I need to change my appearance. And she was talking about how so much of that messaging gets wrapped up with this idea of health, um, that somehow losing weight is always about health and health is always about losing weight and how false that is. And that 
you know, weight is not a pure, clear indicator of, of one's health. So I thought that was really interesting because I don't know about you, Amy, but I grew up with that belief. Certainly, um, that's what I've been told all my life, right? Like weight is health. So just bring awareness that, that weight doesn't equal wellness. Um, it's, I think a really interesting concept. And so from that idea, you know, if we can become mindful around what we're hearing and what we're seeing in these messaging and these marketing ads that, you know, we don't need to buy into that belief. And well, actually what would happen if we didn't, like, how would, how would we respond differently? Um, And how would the new year and this time of, you know, this time of year be really about embracing ourselves you know, um, coming back to our values, coming back to our passions, coming back to our talents. You know, if we want to work on our health, awesome. Like no shame in that. And, you know, if it's connected somehow to weight because of a health issue, right, then okay. Um, But how do we do it in a way that is balanced and doesn't take over our lives? And I think that a lot of the marketing messaging gives us the sense that it has to take over our lives, that this has to be a full-time job of changing our appearance. But in doing that, we miss out on so much connection with other people, with ourselves. We miss out on smiling and laughing and enjoying our life. I love that. And the other thing I thought was really interesting was just the conversations and how to change the conversations you have with people around the holidays, around the new year, away from like, what diet are you on? Or what's your workout plan? Yes. Um, to things that are more meaningful. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm thinking back to my conversation with Sam and she did have some really great lines, um, you know, from being blunt, like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to talk about that. Let's, let's enjoy our lunch. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, no, yeah, no, good for you. Uh, uh, you know, I'm glad your diet's working out, but I don't, you know, I don't really want to talk about that today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, to, you know, just a more kind of like a more from the emotional side of like, Hey, you know, it's not really helpful to me to talk about, um, losing weight. Um, would it be okay if, if we talk about, you know, um, my upcoming vacation or what's going on at home or your job or, your pet, whatever. Um, I think, you know, the, the idea is here is to not to be afraid to be assertive. And if those topics are um, unhelpful to you, to, to say something, right? Because it's only through saying something that we actually end up setting an example for the people around us. It can be like a little bit of an awakening, like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, sure. We don't have to talk about that. (laughs) Um, you know, um, I always think of like around the holidays, I don't live close to family, but when I go home, the first comments everyone always says involves either like how you look or your weight or, you know, something to that effect. And it always is so triggering for me right away that I'm like, Oh, like, and I know to expect it, but it's just, it would be so nice if that didn't happen. I know. I know. It's really hard. And I'll share, you know, when people do that, you know, when they make those comments, it's coming from their own place of pain, you know, 
maybe it's something that's just ingrained. That's what they were modeled in their own lives by their parents. Um, Maybe they have their own body image or eating disorder or disorder eating or self-esteem or whatever, you know, everybody has a story. And so when people do that, and I know that, you know, to me, it's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, can you be any more insensitive? Hello. Um, But then I try to stop myself and come back to compassion and just say, you know what, they got their own story going on and it's, I don't have to be a part of it but I'm just going to silently just wish them well, just silently. So if people say things to me, I just kind of like do this like silly smile and just nod my head like, okay, I heard you, but I'm not talking back. <laughs> I'm not answering. It's like, it's like, I don't have, I don't have it in me to be just like an outright like biatch, <laughs> even though, even though inside, even though inside that's what's going on. You know, I guess it's like from going to Catholic school. I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> but I just get this like silly, like grin, shake my head, and be like, "Yeah, I hear you, but I am not giving this any time or energy." And I hope you're okay. And here's the other piece. You know, we don't have to take the words in. You know, like learning how to just let the words stay outside of you and not take them in, because as soon as we take them in and we get charged up, then we suffer, right? Mm -hmm. And just holding your ground and saying, no, those, those words aren't welcome inside of my being. They stay outside. Let's talk about the importance of body affirming language when it comes to yoga, because that's a place Mm -hmm. where it can kind of go both ways sometimes. Yes. Yes, this is one of my other passions, um, working with yoga teachers, either one-on-one through mentoring or leading body-mindful yoga teacher trainings, Um, but our language is so important in the yoga room. You know, I've been teaching yoga since 2002, um, and the longer I do it, the more I realize that it is such a privilege to guide movement. You know, if you think about it, we're asking people to come and be in a room full of strangers, stand on a yoga mat and move their bodies in in all these different shapes and and positions. And you know, for someone like me who's been doing yoga so long, yeah, it's like no big deal, right? Like it's just second nature to get on my mat and do poses. But for a lot of people, it's not second nature. It's really it can be really intimidating. It can feel uncomfortable. It can be scary. It can feel unsafe. It can be triggering. It can be, you know, so many things beyond like what we take for granted as teachers that like everybody loves yoga. It's not true. It can be really hard. And I think for people struggling with body image, eating disorders, trauma, um, different stories from their lives, being mindful to not reproduce the messages in our social universe um, in the yoga room so that it is a really safe place. Uh, To give an example, you know, there's so much, so much messaging around, you know, losing weight and um, making offhand comments about like burning off 
Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving or whatever the heck, like we need to stop doing those things. Talking about um, things like cleanses and detoxes. First of all, they're out of the scope of practice for a yoga teacher. Like these things get talked about, they get passed down and, you know, we need to think about like, maybe it's better to educate around, you know, how our body is naturally detoxing 24 hours a day, instead of saying every time we're in a twist that we need to detox. And the reason I bring that up is, is that for some people, not all, some people really like the idea of twisting and detoxing. For others, the repetition of that gets translated internally as I'm dirty, I'm dirty, I'm dirty, I need to be cleaning myself out. And that's just not true. Um, so I, I work with teachers to eliminate language around, um, you know, drawing attention to certain body parts that I know are triggering, triggering certainly for the community that I work with, eating disorder community, finding new ways to guide movement, getting creative with our language, um, being mindful of, you know, talking about cleanses and detoxes and diets and things like that, because we, we don't know who's in our classes, but there are statistics showing that a good percentage are coming in with eating disorders and disordered eating and body image. And we get enough messaging in our world that we need to clean out and lose weight and all of that. We don't need to be talking about it in the yoga room. That's just my personal opinion. And I'm happy to listen to other people's opinions, you know, but I feel really strongly about it. I completely agree with you. And I think it's something that's not always really taught in like a 200 hour yoga teacher training. So it's really important, I think, to consider doing the additional training to learn these techniques, because I know I'm a 200 hour registered yoga teacher. And I think, you know, it would be so powerful to have this in your back pocket. Um, And it's something that I wish I had more of. I personally try to think about that, but I would feel much more comfortable having the training. Yeah. Thank you. You know, there's so much around language um, that we don't think about, you know, our cueing, gets passed down, gets passed down, gets passed down. And we, we need that to, for learning purposes. But I think at some point it's exciting to reach a comfort level with teaching um, that then opens the door to say, hmm, I wonder how I can start saying things a little more differently. Um, how can I get creative with my language? How can I, how can I just mix it up a little bit? And from a body affirming standpoint, you know, I recognize I'm coming from a very specific and specialized perspective in terms of, you know, working with eating disorders. So things that I've shifted in my language, for example, um, you know, when we do balancing poses, we often say, you know, shift your weight to your right foot, right? Um, Well, for the people that I work with, I'm not going to say the word weight because that is an instant trigger word. Um, so just realizing like, oh, I can just say, stand on your right foot (laughs) and it accomplishes the same exact thing. Um, or, you know, thinking about instead of, um, you know, a lot of emphasis on body parts, you know, yes, we need to mention anatomy. I'm not saying like we, you know, we can't mention anatomy. We need to mention anatomy, but what if it's like, you know, upper body and lower body versus, you know belly and thighs, 
right? Because I'll tell you, whether you have an eating disorder or not, those areas of most, for most people, especially women, are really kind of like hot button areas. So what would it mean to start getting creative with how we talk about those areas of our bodies so that when we're on our mats, we don't have to hear the word belly 200 times and each time start thinking about how wrong or how my belly is, you know, I, it's got to be tighter. It's got to be this. It's got to be that, right? Because, I mean, the social messaging around that area of a woman's body is so heavily, you know, uh, focused. Um, you know, so I say center instead of belly. Um, just thinking, just, yeah, just getting creative in those ways. And it can be really fun once you start thinking about it. It's kind of like opening up, you know, a whole treasure chest of new words and, and ways of cueing and um, realizing that we can still lead the same class and have just an effective class and communicate just as clearly by just eliminating some things that we know socially are very triggering to a lot of people. It's so important to think about your language. And I like that you use the word center. I'm going to have to start doing that because that is one word. <laughs> every time I say it or anything similar, it does, you're like, ooh, like <laughs> something better, but you kind of do come back to what you've been taught or, you know, the words you're used to hearing, but just taking that extra minute or second even to just think of a better word. Like you're saying, as you become more comfortable with it and teach it more, that more thoughtful language or more mindful language becomes part of your teaching then. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this isn't to judge or shame anybody, you know, for the language they use. I mean, teaching yoga is hard work. And so I get it, like just getting the language out, getting the cues out matters. It's a great, it's a great accomplishment. Um, I, I think though that our yoga community, our, you know, broader yoga community is kind of ready for reevaluating and thinking about some of these things just based on, you know, the yoga and body image coalition. That's got such a, a big following, um, the accessible yoga community, um, the yoga for all, um, just different, different movements going on that, you know, are valuing inclusivity and diversity. And so, uh, trauma sensitivity. And so I see kind of this languaging as an extension of all of that that's happening um, already in the community. Speaking of yoga, I know you mentioned you kind of found yoga during your journey. Can you speak a little bit more about how you came to find yoga and how your experience with yoga has changed over time? Oh, sure. Yes. Um, so in college, you know, when the eating disorder began, a component of of my eating disorder was exercise addiction. I had been an athlete forever and I loved, loved, loved playing sports, loved it. And, you know, once that morphed into this exercise addiction and I, I began my recovery journey, there was several years where I, I was not allowed to do any exercise because it would just trigger, trigger that compulsion. And so I had to lay off. And I guess a few years in, I thought, you know, I'm really missing this part of myself. I'm really missing this, this person who was on a team. And, you know, I loved playing basketball and I loved playing soccer and just, you know, I was just missing this, this athletic part of myself. And I was strong enough in my recovery now to try, to try get it becoming active again. But I knew I 
couldn't go back to a gym and anything cardio based was not going to be a smart, a smart move. So yoga was starting to be like the thing to do. And I thought, all right, well, I'll give this a try. And so I got some Baron Baptiste videos and I was doing them in my apartment. Um, This was, I guess, probably like 2000, 2001. I just, I loved it. I really loved it. And I I met someone who was like, hey, come to a yoga class with me sometime. And that was just the beginning of it all. Um, You know, I found myself in a community of, um, other people who were just really were enjoying their yoga practice, um, you know, being in an environment where the messaging was around compassion and letting go of expectations and acceptance and forgiveness and kindness. You know, you spend enough time in an environment where those are the messages they, they start to seep in, they start to make a difference. And I started applying those messages toward my body and my healing. And you know, it just, it really took root. And I'll share that at that time, you know, I was practicing power yoga and certainly I wasn't using it as an exercise addiction, but it was a more aggressive form and it was done in a heated room. And though that's not maybe a style I, you know, recommend now for like my clients who are in their early journey, I will say it met me where I was, you know, I needed that athletic element to draw me in because that was the piece of myself that I was missing and I wanted to get back. And um, I'm really happy that my, my story began there. And as my practice evolved and I became more aware of like what you said earlier, that yoga is not just poses. Um, it led me, you know, many, many, many years later to study classical yoga in my yoga therapy program. And now my practice is so much more about um, the way I live versus the way I do a pose, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how I live versus how I do a pose. You know, the poses are, uh, they're containers for self-study. They're containers for cultivating health and balance and moments of honesty about, you know, how I'm feeling in the moment and attending to my nervous system through breathing and um, settling my, my mind through meditation and just showing up in a way that um, is grounded and with intention. And so it's been really, it's been really interesting to recognize, look back and say, wow, I was so attached to a certain definition of what yoga was, you know, it had to be 90 minutes in a hot room. Um, and while, and, and while that was very, that did start off my healing, um, it's where I'm at now that has made such a huge difference. You know? I love that. So we're approaching the end of the interview and there's two questions I always like to ask at the end. The first one is what does the word nourish mean to you? So the word nourish means to me, um, and it's actually a word that I use with my clients all the time. It's like, what lifts you up? You know, what, what lifts up your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit? Um, what, what just satisfies your insides? You know, what, what grounds you, what brings contentment, what brings joy? So what are the things in your life that, that, that feed you on all of those levels? What is one thing you do fairly regularly to nourish yourself? 
So I have a, um, I have a, I have a couple things now, but the one thing that I really appreciate is my morning ritual. Um, I, every morning I write down, um, my gratitudes, my intention for the day, my top three goals professionally, and then my self-care goals personally. And I just find that when I take that time to connect inward, um, it nourishes me in the moment, but then it sets me up for the day to be, you know, continuing to connect in, continuing to nourish, just, just continuing to be, to be aware of how I'm spending my time and why I'm doing it. And when I have that awareness, I, I feel much more nourished when I go to bed at night. I know our audience is going to want to connect with you. Where will they find you online? You're welcome to check out my website, which is yoga for, which is the number four eating disorders.com. So yoga for eating disorders.com, the number four. I'm also on Instagram um, at yoga for eating disorders, as well as Facebook. And I always love, love, love hearing, hearing from people who are on their journey. So please feel free to send a message on social media or through my website. Always happy to answer questions about how we can work together um, via yoga therapy, mentoring. And also if you happen to be looking for a speaker, I love, love, love speaking. I'll be happy to talk about that too. Wonderful. And are there any last messages you want to leave our audience with today? Well, first I want to say thank you for listening. Um, That's, you know, so much gratitude for that. And I think the message is, you know, one of my personal mantras is begin again. That's just something that always stays with me. Begin again, that no matter where you are on your journey, um, because it ebbs and flows and no matter where you are, just know that whatever has maybe been pushed to the side or has been put, you know, the pause button on or has gotten lost that all that matters is that you begin again. So you don't have to beat yourself up for stopping. Just have the courage to begin again. Thank you so much for listening to Nourish and Shine. I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you'll leave me a review on iTunes so that more people can hear the podcast. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your questions, so please send them my way. Also, you can check out my website. It's amysapola.com. I hope that today's interview provided you with some inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and to live a whole vibrant life. Please join me again next week for another amazing interview. Have a wonderful week.